All right, Mark. So let's check your TNG bona fides. How many episodes of TNG does Ro Laren appear in across her career? Obviously, including this one that we're about to talk about and her first one. So at least two episodes. But what's the total number that she appears in? Ah, <laughs> oh, geez. You know what? I remember looking this up a, like a long time ago, and it was less than I thought it would be. But I can't remember the exact number. Uh, if I were to guess, I'd say nine. It's maybe? eight. The number is eight. It's eight. Oh, which is not close. bad. Yeah. It's entirely front loaded in the. Uh, the fifth season. She has six appearances mm. in the fifth season and then one in the sixth and then this one in the seventh because we are going to be talking about Preemptive Strike, which is the episode that you chose for this discussion. But I guess I should introduce you first. You're Mark from Enchantment of Eternity. I've been on your uh, your streams a few times. Now you're on this show guesting to talk about an episode of Star Trek. So welcome. How are you? Yeah, I'm pretty good. Thanks for having us. Good to come on your show and uh, yeah, letting me choose the episode to talk about. Yeah, I do. I I let people choose. So do you want to open this by explaining why you actually chose this one yourself? Some of our guests in the past have uh, I've had to help choose the episode, but this is you're the first one I think who actively chose what episode they wanted specifically. So why did you choose this one? Um. Well, yeah, so you told me to come up with like two or three, and I came up with three, and the three that I came up with were actually probably I would call what in my opinion is the most underrated episodes. So all three of the episodes were episodes I love that are in my top ten of TNG that I think not many other people like. So the other two I kind of went back was The Offspring and The Survivors. And I know that The Offspring is actually kind of well-liked, so that's why it was the first one I eliminated. But then I was really stuck between The Survivors and Preemptive to Strike, and I couldn't decide because I wanted to talk about both of them equally. But I finally went to Preemptive Strike because I think this might be a little more underrated, in my opinion. And uh, I haven't gotten a chance to do a deep dive on this episode yet. I did talk about The Survivors already on my channel uh, and it's something that I wanted to talk about. Uh, yeah. And I just, this has always been one of my favorite episodes. And I've, I've, I think I've yet to find anyone who likes this episode as much as I do. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I like delving more into the, the maybe lesser appreciated episodes rather than, because at first, when you first contacted me, I was thinking of episodes like Drumhead, uh, Inner Light and stuff. I was like, nah, I was trying to shy away from that because that's the stuff everyone talks about. I wanted to kind of dive into something that was a bit less explored. Sure. And not the just completely middling episodes. No one wants to talk about the, the seas <laughs> of an episode on Star Trek, apparently. Yeah, because most of the middling episodes, uh, well, a lot of people could call this a middling episode in their opinion, but most of the middling episodes aren't that interesting to talk yeah. about. It's yeah. not much. Well, I'm, I'm glad you didn't choose the survivors because we'll probably have more to disagree about here with Preemptive Strike. <laughs> yeah. I don't think Preemptive Strike is a bad episode, but I think Survivors is yeah. a great episode. So I would probably just be um, agreeing with you about that one. But let's get the information. Actually, Go ahead. Honestly, that's one of the factorings in because I thought I knew how much you liked the survivors. I was like, that would be more interesting if we had more to, you know, disagree with and discuss on rather than just both of us talking on and on about how great the episode is. (laughs) How underappreciated survivors. No, I think survivors is the first great TNG episode, but first like legitimately great episode. 
But let me get the uh, preemptive strike information out of the way here. The episode is called Preemptive Strike. It is the 24th episode of the seventh season, the penultimate episode. Aired on the 16th of May, 1994. Teleplay goes to Rene Echevarria, who's about to ship off to DS9. Story credit goes to Naren Shenkar, directed by Patrick Stewart, which makes a lot of sense in context. In-universe date is 47941.7, which is 2370. In this episode... Lieutenant Rowe, or Lieutenant, if you're British, is sent undercover to root out a Maki cell. So, this is the very last episode of Star Trek before the finale, All Good Things. I'll start there, and then I'll throw it to you. This is an incredibly strange episode, and I mentioned this in the first time we covered this. This is an incredibly weird episode to have be the second-to-last episode of this show, I think. I think that on a production level... This is a strange choice to tell this story mm-hmm. at this point. I don't have a problem with this story. I think if I was watching this show as it aired, and this was what came up as the second to last episode of the show as I was watching it, I'd say, what the hell was that? Like, why, <laughs> why, did, why did we not have a story that was told about any of our main mm-hmm. cast members with such limited time to go? I don't know if you want to go off of that idea or if you think this is a perfectly placed episode, but uh, what do you think about that? I mean, honestly, when I think about this episode, I don't look at it as the penultimate episode. I look at it as his own thing because I think I agree. Uh, I agree with what you're saying. That's a weird choice. I know you haven't watched all Voyager yet, but I think their choice of a penultimate episode was even stranger. Mm-hmm. But, but so ultimately, I don't think they decide. I think this is just how the scheduling worked out or whatever. And there was, I don't think there was any thought put into what should our penultimate episode or, oh, this would make a good second to last episode. I think it was just like, eh, it just happened to work out that way. So that's how I try to look at it. And I, it's kind of like the same thing with the original series uh, finale or final episode um Turnabout Intruder, because a lot of times you talk about that episode, they talk about, oh, this is the final episode of the TOS. But there was no thought. Like, they just happened to get canceled after that episode was in. So whenever I, I did like a half, an hour long review on an episode, I didn't even mention once that it was the final episode of TOS because I think it was actually irrelevant. And I kind of look at penultimate strike, uh, this, uh, pe- oh, sorry preemptive strike the same way even though it is the penultimate episode so as i was watching it for the first time i knew like this is the last time we get a full you know a normal hour-long episode before we get into that big uh finale but even so like yeah even so i never really thought of this as like well it's such a in that manner it's such a downer of an episode it's really strange that the that this is for a show that's as opt like I guess you can look at it two ways. So I guess on the technical level, they had no stories that they considered to be workable going into the end of the seventh season. So they this was like their last thing that they could do. It's fairly simple to do. I it seems likely they were resting the cast almost for all good things to get the, to sort of like pre, like preemptively get into the finale that way. So they wanted to do this. It's very strange that it's a secondary character like Ro Laren who takes the focus of this, who becomes a lieutenant. The only thing that I can say is that, have you ever watched the, have you watched Star Trek chronologically, as in like by air dates ever? Oh, by air dates. 
not on the rewatch. Obviously, I was watching this stuff in the 90s when it first came. Well, not obviously, but I was. Uh, but I didn't, I haven't, actually, I plan on doing that eventually, but I haven't actually done it yet. It would be my, it's my, my one regret from the podcast is that I probably would have done that from the start because the only positive, the only, not the only positive, but the, the one thing that I think this episode is intentionally trying to do is it is trying to bridge into DS9 after this end. So DS9 is at the end of its second season as Preemptive Strike is coming out. The Maquis mm. episode just aired. So they're trying to follow that up with the TNG handoff. I still think it's weird to do the story that way, but it is a. it would have been interesting to see this in the context of what other Star Trek mm. was doing, what other Star Trek shows were doing at this time to say, oh, this makes a little bit more sense in the context of all the other uh, shows that are coming out. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And also it was setting up for Voyager, which was about yeah, to come yeah. out the next year. So setting up the, for the Maquis and establishing who they were. Um, yeah, I see how if you watch, like, do a rewatch, we watch all of TNG, then you watch all of DS9, then you watch all of Voyager. Like, this episode's really out of place. It, it it does it only really works if you watch it according to air date, which is aired around the same time that, DS9 second season and that this episode came out very shortly after the Maquis two-parter in DS9 did. Uh, so it makes a lot more sense in that context. So I could understand that being a bit sort of off-putting to anyone who's just checking it out through Netflix, especially if they haven't seen DS9 and get to this at the end of TG. It seems yeah, they're, they're just they're, they're pushing the Maquis hard as a way to connect mm-hmm. all of the Star Trek shows with each other. Ultimately, I think that that's all that they do, and they're not super relevant in many ways. They're the Maquis are an interesting idea that doesn't really ever get fleshed out. I think that this episode is actually kind of a perfect representation of what the Maquis eventually become, which is this vague idea of something going on, but you're never really given good details about it or an understanding of why Starfleet people would choose to join the Maquis in any sense. Like something's Something's brewing here, and I think that before we go into your sort of take on this episode, the, my my thing about it is this is such a strange, dark episode of Star Trek TNG that feels much more at home for DS9, and in some mm. ways it shows how ill-equipped TNG was to deal with situations like this. It's, it's fascinating. Like I think that Picard comes out kind of looking like an idiot, through this, it's, it's strange to me. And I I actually don't yeah. agree with... I understand why Picard does the things he does in this episode, but it seems totally backwards when you consider like where DS9 would go with this stuff. Picard is the, the by the book. I'm going to follow all the rules. Starfleet is right. The Federation is right. We just have to settle this stuff and get out of here. Uh, or Cisco takes a more nuanced take on it, but that's it. So how do you, what, what's, your, what's your grand thesis for this episode? Why do you like it so much? Oh, my grand thesis of this episode. Well, my big, my big hot take for this episode is I personally believe this is the best Maquis episode in the Star Trek franchise. To me, this is what uh, like most Maquis episodes should have been like because I think it takes a journey. You get a bigger sense on the kind of people who they are, uh, more and more so than especially the two part of the Maquis, which I, I'm actually not a huge fan of that two parter. Um, because the Maquis came off as kind of idiotic or childlike where here they still have that naivete to them because they're Federation citizens trying to be, uh, fighters, but it shows them like recruiting someone like Roe, um, who 
Yeah, who is actually a very brilliant tactician, so it shows them going in the right direction. And it also really, I love seeing their colonies, seeing Ro interact with the people and what their day-to-day lives are rather than having some abstract sense of who the Maquis were, which is why I think by the time we get to the Eddington stuff in season five, like I pretty much have no idea who the hell the Maquis are, uh, and which is why I couldn't really connect to it. And this, you get sort of a hands-on experience. But I would say the main reason why I love this this episode and so much is actually the personal character story for Ro because she's actually always been one of my favorite TNG characters. She's probably is my favorite supporting character or side character who doesn't appear that often, as we said, only eight episodes. And uh, so I loved having this, this episode that delved deep into her character. And the, I do also like dark episodes. And I think this is one of the most effective ones that TNG did. I thought the ending where Roe betrayed Picard and he was like devastated by it was, it really affects me. I, like emotionally, I thought it was played out and I followed Roe's journey throughout when she sort of, uh, made, you know, her tragedy with her mentor getting killed. Like I bought all that. I thought it was emotionally impactful and just seeing like i think it was risky for tng2 to end like a character story arc on such a, a sad note that she basically betrays picard he's devastated and she goes off and just leaves starfleet i think that's outside of what tng would normally do and i think they do it well in this episode yeah i guess my my big problem is whether it's the right tone for this show this late in its run like for me i have a i really have a hard time separating where this comes in the show's run from what they're talking about because it's a it's basically an embarrassment for picard at the very end of the series and it's a strange tng as a naive point of view into a more complicated situation that the show actually can't really explain the situation which is always the problem with the maquis is that you can never really understand what they're what they're talking about uh because of how ill-defined their conflict is but i think that i i agree that like i i like ro laren i'm i'm never quite sure how well ro fits into the series as a whole because she's she she comes in hot but then she kind of dials it back and becomes a secondary supporting character who's a little bit feistier than the rest of them but there's nothing <laughs> crazy about her you know all the way through <clears throat> until this ending which is, is not to say that this comes out of nowhere i think that this totally makes sense for the row character and this is the only way that her story really makes sense of ending but during that middle section she's kind of just a spicy spicy ensign on the enterprise that you you become familiar with you know it's it's not like she's the the troubled soldier that uh is there for an entire season or something so she's she's an interesting mix of things and i think that really the real reason that berman brought her on was because she's so attractive is my sense from reading all the memory alpha information well that's why berman does it does anything <laughs> yeah that's where the the uh She's responsible for the Bajoran makeup because he demanded that the makeup for her alien race not be anything that will distract you from what she oh, looks really? like. Oh, yeah, I know they said the same thing about Dax. That's why they changed the true yeah. makeup. To, yeah, to yeah. make it simple, just dots <laughs> on you. Yeah. <laughs> Which makes sense. Can't blame them. You got attractive people. You might as well not have them hiding under Klingon makeup no. or something like that. But what do you think about Ro? You, you like Ro in general or you think that she's just kind of a um, – would she yeah, fit I'd- on DS9 if that were to happen? 
Well, that was the original plan, uh, but Michelle Forbes didn't want to take the job, and that's why Ro didn't appear. She was meant to be a reoccurring character throughout the rest of the show, but Michelle Forbes has had this whole, I want to do movies, I don't want to be tied to TV thing. Yep. And so They stopped I, casting you, her after Rascals as, as punishment, yeah. and they had to apologize to her to get her to come back for this, yeah. Well, I was wondering, because I heard a story of how this episode came about. I don't know if it's true if you heard this story. But I heard, like, there was no concept for, like, this episode specifically. It's just uh, Jerry Taylor wanted to bring Rolaren back, but Michelle Forbes didn't want to do Star Trek anymore. So I heard that she called you know michelle forbes and pitched her oh well we're gonna have this great episode for rose she's gonna go through this character journey and she had to really sell it to her and then she bought it and once she bought it they're like okay so now we've got to write this episode so it was kind of i heard this whole episode was based off of this pitch of trying to bring michelle forbes back but i thought it was interesting that they wanted to bring michelle forbes back to tie up rose's story uh, for the final season. And I think, I actually think it added to the episode that it was so focused on her. And it seems like that only came about because they like had to sell her on the idea, uh, in order to get her to come back. And so I think it only enriched. And I think she's an amazing actress. I think her performance in this episode yeah. is absolutely amazing. And I love Patrick Stewart's, like, he's always amazing, but the way they play off each other in this episode, I think really works. Um, but as far as Ro as a, a character previously, I think there's moments in season five where we do get more of her as like a troubled character, like episodes like Disaster when she's like, I want to leave those people to die or the next phase where she talks about she's convinced she's dead. Yeah. Uh, but most of the other episodes, other than that, in the first episode appeared in most of the episodes, yeah, she is just the feisty little person at helm who's not yep. really doing much she's in cause and effect i don't think she does anything yes. except sit on the bridge no. during the destruction of the enterprise but she is in cause they, and effect. yeah they could have had an extra in that part yeah. and it would have been the same thing yeah <laughs> yeah she's what, what's funny is that like having watched ds9 all the way through now you see how extremely similar she is to kira in a lot of ways like the the I was starting to get confused. I think I was confusing Kira's stories about her father being tortured to death with Roe and being like, yes. is this when Roe is going to start talking about her father being tortured to death? And that, I don't think they ever make that connection. I'm pretty sure that's just a Kira thing. Although I, I think they do say that the Cardassians kill her father at some point. Well, no, Roe's Rose father was tortured to death. Not Kira's? Yeah, I don't think Kira's father because no, there was that episode where they showed that Kira's father was dying of some disease or something, and she was all fighting the other Cardassians just to avoid oh. dealing with the pain. Ties of blood and water. Yeah, that was the name of the episode. Maybe, maybe it is Ro so, then. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually Rose because they mentioned that in this episode. That's part of the, how she connects with the Macius guy by telling the backstory of how her father was tortured and she was like forced to watch as they tortured him to death. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. <laughs> well, no, it might be, it might be something from her introduction too. But in, in any case, it's it's kind of irrelevant. It's just that you see the similarities there. I'm personally glad that Kira became a new character, just because I don't think that that role in DS9 works with a Starfleet character. You know, the, like Kira is unique because she's not Starfleet. Mm. That's what allows her to do things that she wouldn't 
otherwise do as a normal first officer to Cisco and stuff. So I think it freed them up to open up that character and have her go places that a Starfleet officer would have a lot harder time going without getting reprimanded about something. No, I agree 100%. Like, as much as I would have loved to get more of Bro and more Michelle Forbes, um, I do think that would have having a Starfleet officer in that row would have tied things up and, and allowing them to have a Bajoran officer did free them up uh, to go in a, a totally different direction. But yeah, I, I think they definitely, it's very clear that they based Karen Arnerys off of her. And so that there is definitely a lot of similarity, especially their sort of attitude and, yeah. and, and stuff like that and being a, you know, a strong woman. But I think they took Nerys off into a different direction, especially the further the show goes, she becomes very, very different than Rue. So here's my, Here's my incredibly stupid critique of this episode. I find this one a little boring. And that's not a very good criticism. Um, it's not a <laughs> it's not something that you can write a, a dissertation on. I think a lot of it has to do with Patrick Stewart is a terrible director. He was a terrible director all the way through TNG. I, I think that he's a bad director in this episode. Okay. <laughs> um, I don't think that they have a lot to work with outside of Rose attachment to these people and you as an audience member needing to buy into whether or not she's going to do this. I think the the most effective scene in it is actually the very end uh, from the Riker on the shuttlecraft all the way to the Picard mm-hmm. at the very end. The rest of it, I'm not sure. I, If it was any other placement in the season, I'd say this is fine to just kind of exist there, but it is just a strange level of energy for the end of the season again. And I, I think that... I don't know how you fix it, really. It's the Maquis are kind of a bland thing. Their set is bland. Their clothing is bland. <laughs> like, everything is just kind of a, a shade of brown in this episode. Mm. And I, not that I hate it, but it's, it's, it's a lower energy thing than I would have expected. Would you disagree? Yeah, I would. I mean, well, first of all, I, I think it's totally valid to say you find an episode boring. I mean, I just, just probably sometimes that's just the best way to describe it. I can think of many Star Trek episodes where I feel like, especially Enterprise, where I, I feel like that is the best way to describe an episode. But I mean, I, yeah, I see the episode differently. I was actually kind of enthralled. I suppose, like, I personally never saw Patrick Stewart as a bad director. I'm trying to think of other episodes he directed in theory. Fistful of Data. Fistful of Data, which I hated it, but I didn't think it had so much to do with this direction, the more to do with the script. But He but, didn't use um, any Western tropes. He didn't do a single thing directorial-wise that goes like, oh, this is a Western. He, he doesn't yeah, do a single Western camera trick at all. You know? I think he was he was the bad choice for that episode. Yes, <laughs> I do, yeah, I just I, I I don't think he's a. I, I think he tends in contrast to Avery Brooks, who I think is a better director than an actor. I think yes. it's the opposite for Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart yeah. is a great actor who sure. thinks he can direct, and I don't think that's the case. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I was It was funny because when I was just watching this episode, I actually thought, wow, Patrick Stewart did a good job directing. So I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, I agree that he's he never impressed me as much as, yeah, Avery Brooks or Jonathan Frakes, especially yeah. not. But I thought he did a decent job here. I mean, maybe that's just because it features such good acting, like with Michelle Forbes and Patrick Stewart. But I think they're going to be good acting regardless of who's directing. Um, and personally, as far as it like being dull, um, I was actually really enthralled with the whole 
uh, Macy's storyline with him uh, talking about Hasperet, and and I was drawn into that. So for me, I, I was just thought for me this was a really interesting characteristic, and especially he had that scene where Picard and Ro were pretending to be making out, so no one questioned them talking. And I thought that was a great scene, great acted scene, because on the surface they're like hugging and kissing, but the conversation they're having is basically, "I want to have you disbarred from Starfleet unless you fucking do what I say." So. I, yeah, so that was another, like, there's scenes like that. Now, I do agree there are some, especially at the start of the episode when you have Golivek and Admiral Chaoff and all that, it gets, it's a bit bland. But to me, that once you get into the personal character stuff with Rogue and Undercover, it just gets really good. And that's just how I look at it. I, I see. I, I think that, personally, I think it's a problem that Picard and Roe only become start to realize what is going on with nine minutes left in the episode, which in, which is when their bar scene starts, which is when Picard goes mm. down undercover and starts talking to her. I, I think that much of the episode suffers from a drag effect of they have to develop the character of Roe or remind the audience of why she would be the person who would desert them and like what the Maquis are appealing to her about. They kind of set up this thing where she's very thankful for to Picard as well because Picard got her this promotion and her career wouldn't have been the same. Then she has to spend a tremendous amount of time with the Maquis and convince the audience that she would leave Starfleet for them. I'm not sure how effective that really is because it does come down to them sharing a memory about a spicy wrap sandwich, <laughs> which is what the Bajorans like to eat apparently. So what, what yeah. you're left with is I would have liked to have an entire episode where – Picard can never pull Roe out of this situation because she's too vital to the operation, right? Like, that's why he can't take her out at the end, because if he does, it'll screw up what they're trying to do. I would have really liked a much deeper conflict between the two of them where the whole episode is spent knowing that something is fraying here and Picard trying to stop that from happening and Roe moving further and further away from him, but Picard being in the tough spot where he can't stop it from happening. And then I think that... At least then it would have given me a little bit of juice to the story. You know, instead of less time with the Maquis, there's more about how Picard is losing somebody and he can't stop that from happening, which will go into his like generation story and stuff about how he's losing people and things. What do you say? I personally disagree. <laughs> I like the way that it was structured. And it's because, um, I feel like we need that. It's only because we spend all that time with the Maquis that I, I was actually interested in that in that backstory and why it has more weight because i think what they're trying to sell here is that row uh abandoning her mentor abandoning starfleet abandoning every every you know picard it's establishing at first establish how much trust picard has in her and then it, it needs to establish why she would throw that away so i feel like you do need to set up the motivation you need to have establish her and I think the show, the episode actually does a great job of slowly showing how she's slowly starting to be turned by the Maquis, slowly starting to identify them, slowly starting to like value them. And also I, that scene when they're making out or whatever, it shows that she's actually not ready to betray Picard yet, but the, she's like, 
you know, leaning towards it at that point. And I think you actually need that scene towards the end of the episode because I think you need to earn getting to that point where if there was tension of them throughout the entire episode, I personally didn't, wouldn't think it would work as well, that you need to earn that first. And I like how they build to it and then it slowly explodes until the very end. She finally decides to betray Picard and you see the, the look of agony on his face mm-hmm. when he doesn't. It's probably more devastating for him because it kind of came out of nowhere. Yeah. I guess my, my general concern would be that the Maquis do not convince me in any of their appearances that they're worth leaving for. And here (laughs) they can't spend a tremendous amount of time explaining what they are. I think they do a better job in DS nine of explaining like what the situation is between them and possibly Voyager as well. But it's a, they, their cause makes sense for Roe, I think. Like, I think that the cause and the reason, like, how Roe has been built as a character makes sense for her to leave for the Maquis. I wonder how much, like, I, I wish that my wife had watched this episode because she doesn't, she doesn't know anything about the Maquis or this, like, storyline. Uh, I wonder yeah. how she would have reacted to be like, am I supposed to care about this person? <laughs> like, like, is this, how much of this requires knowing... Mm the backstory of what's going on here and it doesn't work as a standalone episode would be interesting because it's not like TNG to do something like that. Yeah. I mean, I, everyone's going to have their own opinion on that, but I, I personally feel to me, this works as a standalone episode because as I said, I actually feel this is the best uh, Maki episode in track. It's just my opinion because I think it does the best job of really humanizing them rather than having this abstract concept of not wanting, oh, look, we don't want the Cardassians here because here we actually see Cardassians come onto the planet and start shooting people. We see this man that we've, a really friendly man that we've known to like get killed by them. And so it has that more personal impact for me of who the Maquis are rather than anything. So I actually think you could take this episode and throw all the other Maquis episodes away and it would still work. Uh, however, I'm sure it would be a bit, might be difficult if someone had no context for who the Maquis was and all of a sudden uh, you, they're thrown into this episode. I could see that happening too, but personally I think it works as a standalone. So how, do you, how would you defend Picard's actions here? And do you think it matters that, in my opinion, the script doesn't explore what Picard is arguing to do, which is just a way to say that Picard seems incredibly cold to the Maquis, which is interesting to me. And I think that a fundamental like problem with the way that they're drawn is that I find the Maquis to be sympathetic. And it's strange mm-hmm. to me that Starfleet doesn't find the Maquis to be sympathetic. Um, so my, my issue with Picard in this one is interesting from a DS9 point of view. If you watch this through the DS9 prism, Picard is the inflexible Starfleet officer who doesn't really understand what's going on on the ground. He's just a kind of rule follower that is going to follow Starfleet. That makes sense in the context of DS9. In TNG, Picard is infallible usually. And it's fascinating to me here that he seems to be wrong for a good portion of this or at least have a a point of view that is not interesting and he doesn't seem particularly interested in examining why he's doing the things that he's doing, you know? Not his episode, uh, but he's in the background not questioning things. 
Yeah, I guess I suppose I don't have that perspective. I, I wouldn't even though I like I think this episode does a really good job of, of getting you to identify with the Maquis and humanizing them. I still wouldn't go as far as to say that they're clearly in the right and Federation's in the wrong. I can kind of see both sides of this. And I think uh season seven of TNG explore actually explored the kind of Picard questioning this whole thing with the previous episode, the God. Journey's in, is that the name of the one yeah. with Wesley and with they the first Indians. established the whole thing? Because he at first like outright challenged Nacheyov about the whole thing. It's like this isn't right. So it feels like if they did that again here, they would kind of be repeating themes. Um, but I actually buy Picard's behavior of just be because these are Federation citizens who are acting like childish terrorists and attacking uh, the Cardassians. And Picard's always been one of do things through official channels. I think that's always, that's true to his character. I think that's always been the kind of person he is. So I kind of, I buy his steadfast of this as like, maybe he could sympathize them with a bit, but once they started performing terrorist acts, he's like, well, no, this is illegal and they need to be arrested. And I think that's kind of drilled into his like sort of whole uh, Starfleet performance. But I do love how they have a line in this episode where he says, you know, a treaty's more than just a piece of paper. And then in the episode, the Maquis, the other dude who was running the Maquis is saying, oh, they're throwing our lives away just because of a meaningless piece of paper. Like, <laughs> I love the contrast to that. And I think, and I would buy that Picard would have that perspective. Yeah. I think it's why I understand Picard having this perspective. What's kind of interesting to me is that it's very similar to like is the episode Homeward, the one where Worf's brother tries to save those yes. people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They they make a lot of weird Picard decisions later on that doesn't seem to be the show recognizing what's going on when Picard will do something by the books and it's clearly the wrong thing morally and ethically to do in that situation. So Picard being like, fuck those people. Like, I, I can't violate the Prime Directive. They can all die. Seems the wrong thing to say in that situation. Mm. My, my problem with the Maquis is that I find the Maquis incredibly sympathetic. And I don't really understand Starfleet's abandoning them to the Cardassians. And so, like, it feels... It, it it feels like a weird plot development that doesn't really make sense in the context of what they're supposed to be doing. Like in the, I always think of the Maquis as um, Picard in first contact as the line, like the line must be drawn here, no farther, which is kind of stupid in the context of first contact, I think. But I think that it's actually what the Maquis feel. I think it's more of an appropriate thing for the Maquis. And I think that Picard, the Picard of first contact should agree with the Maquis of preemptive strike, which is that, you give and you give, and these motherfuckers just keep taking. Well, we're not going to give anymore, and it's wrong to give them anything more. And I think Cisco realizes that eventually, because I think Cisco and DS9 are the more humane Star Trek episode. And it's not a flaw in Picard's character, and it's not bad writing for Picard, but it shows how the weakness of Picard as a paragon of virtue can sometimes sink his arguments, interestingly. Well, I want to want to ask you about the Cisco comparison because Cisco has always been just as staunch, arguably more so against the Maquis. Like he went out of his way to like poison their planets just to capture their leader. That's because he was so, betrayed. That's a very personal thing for Cisco. Cisco has sympathy for 
what's going on on the ground in a way that he does. Like he has that whole thing in the Maquis where he yells at the Admiral. He's like out out there. What's that? Fa- the thing yeah. that we, the, he has that quote about <laughs> people back home think they live in uh, paradise, but this is like the real world out here. Picard has the paradise view in this episode, which mm. is incorrect with what we know about what's going on with the Maquis and the Cardassians and stuff. I don't know. I, I was. I don't know. I, to me, I would say Cisco also sort of has that attitude in later episodes where he deals with the Mikey. Maybe not the first one, but especially later when you get into yeah, that thing and stuff. And even before that, he's just like staunchly against it. But anyway, with uh, Picard, I kind of feel like he. Yeah. Oh God, I lost my train of thought. But I was kind of feel like Picard can. It, the whole motivation behind this is uh, not ha- starting a war between the Cardassians. And I actually looking at this episode when I watched it again, I could see that perspective that this peace treaty they have with Cardassian is very tenuous. And I know a lot of people sort of accuse the Federation of, of being pull- pulling over and like being giving in and doing whatever they can to prevent a war and, and to promote peace, which I actually think it's a little bit unfair because I could see that perspective of like war is something that you would want to avoid at all costs. And there's like, oh, it was so hard to come up with this peace treaty that's going to stop us from going to war. We finally did all this work. We did months of negotiating. We finally got it. And then there's this little band of, you know, no ones who are trying to fuck that all up and bring us back into a war. And we're going to have to do everything we can to prevent this war. Now, I think. Picard's perspective is Cardassians sending in, you know, people into the Jamil Trizone to terrorize the colonists that live there is not acceptable. And even he even tells Goli Vect off for this at the start of the episode. He's like, oh, so you're support all those colonists coming in. And so it seems like from his perspective, he thinks, yes, they should. Cardassians shouldn't be able to get away with whatever, whatever they want. If they try to get around this peace treaty, if they don't honor it, if they terrorize the colonists, they yes, we should fight back against that, but we should do it through legal channels. We shouldn't having terrorism during attacks and setting bombs is not an acceptable way to respond to that. We need to respond to that officially. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would, I would agree that that's what Picard thinks. And I think that that's what Picard's argument would be. It's interesting to me how it reflects a TNG ethos of things. Like I, it's hard to view this episode and not have DS9's information in your background of your information because the Maquis would have aired right before this episode came out. So you have a, you're seeing a more in-depth view of that, and to then come back to TNG with its very like pristine view of how things are supposed to work which is that like contracts need to be written we need to sign things we need to have some diplomacy (laughs) it's strange and it makes picard in my opinion seem naive as to what's going Mm -hmm. on which explains why he doesn't see roe abandoning them because he is completely detached from reality in terms of what this conflict (laughs) is all about out in the uh cardassian border region you know what i mean yeah, I, and I agree. I think Picard is being a bit naive, particularly, and they brought it up like when Macius is talking to the Roe and the other Maquis, they're like, they don't understand what's going on. Yeah. But I, again, I actually buy that for his character because he's looking at it from the perspective of preserving a peace. He's looking at 
Look, I actually think he's looking at the bigger picture. That yes, these people are being terrorized, and that's a bad thing. We should stop it. But the bigger picture is: if we start a war where millions of Federation citizens die, that's the worst case scenario. So I'm going to do whatever I can to avoid that. It happens anyway, though. He's wrong. He should have. He should have just. He should have. <laughs> he should have fought from the start. It reminds me very strongly of Afghanistan. Yeah. Actually, mm. like the, the modern Afghanistan news is kind of similar to this. It's a placating of a horrible group of people you know it's it's like a like well you know we'll just leave and give them whatever the hell they want and it's like you end up with the Cardassians on one side and you end up with the Taliban in Afghanistan and you're like well I guess maybe I guess maybe there is the lines that have to be drawn and like you can't give up stuff like that at least in my personal opinion but it's a it's fascinating the real parallels there I guess Picard would be Biden in this situation but um (laughs) It's. I don't. I. Okay. Oh, no, that, that that's pretty much the end of the okay. well, I think that I think there's definitely a good argument to be had that maybe this Federation's response and Starfleet's response isn't the correct one, and maybe they should have been more strong against the Cardassian. I think that that's definitely true, and I do agree. Like at least in the two part of the Maquis, Cisco does fight back against Starfleet about that more than Picard does. But as I said, I think Picard does a little bit at first in the that other episode, the Journey's End one, before when this whole stuff was, when the treaty was first signed in the first place. But I think at this point, he's kind of resigned himself to, yes, this is my orders. I'm a part of this military organization. This is what I'm ordered to do, so I'm going to do it. You know, And I'm yep. going to try to do the best job that I can. I think it's not necessarily Picard who's making the terrible mistakes of the bad strategy. It's those above him, and he's just, you know, a good being a good Starfleet officer and trying to do his orders as best as he can. Yeah. I think to my, to my point, Picard... It's mostly an issue with this episode because in in the wounded episode, the Cardassians do a similarly shifty thing about lying about what's going on. But Picard ends that episode by going, "I know you're fucking lying to me. Like just <laughs> just uh, just so you know, we're we're on the level with each other, and I'm not going to turn my back on you because you are a garbage people. So I'm mm. going to I'm going to keep my focus eyes up here, eyes on you." And we'll see. I think that the the problem with this one is that Picard doesn't seem to have that kind of clarity of insights in this episode. And it's tough because it's not really the focus. The focus is on Roe. Yeah. But by losing that focus, it, Picard comes out the loser of all things. And I think that Roe, just by having to get rid of Roe and get her off the show for whatever needs to remain, you have to play kind of loosey-goosey with the Picard character, uh, which is unfortunate. Well, I don't know. I actually disagree. As I say, I still think his portrayal in this episode was uh, consistent. Like, I think that Picard's uh, view of the Cardassians doesn't necessarily transform to that of the Maquis. As I mentioned, his uh, argument with Gold Evec that he was being very clear of, oh, yeah, I'm yeah, sure, you're bullshitting me. I know that you're up to no good. So I think he still had that attitude. It's just in addition, he had the attitude like these terrorists going around finding bombs who are supposed to be Federation citizens are just messing up what I'm trying to do and making my job worse, so I need to stop. Mm. So, so I don't know. I, I, I still think it's being consistent with how it's portrayed by Roe. So this is the end of Roe. She's gone. It's pretty much the end of TNG as well because they don't really consider the all good things to be a finale in any sense or it is a finale i don't consider it to be a normal episode in any Mm. sense um any 
when you're watching this, do you feel anything for the end of the season or are you are you or the end of the series? Are you totally disconnected from that at this point? Have you watched this yeah. in like context of the other thing, or does it does it feel like an end to you when you watch it? Yeah, I never think of it as an end. I think of that as more of all good things because mm-hmm. that's that's what it's meant to be. I thought, I, yeah, as I said, I think of it as more as an episode that just so happened to be <laughs> the next to last. And it's funny because I think of it more. It's as and as I mentioned at the top of the video, I think it fits more in context when you think of it as the sort of passing the torch to DS9 Voyager and and it actually and in some ways it doesn't work as a TNG episode it feels more like a DS9 episode and so that's why I could understand people feeling that it feels out of place as being in this place that it is but I, I always look at that, at it in that context that this is kind of continuing the story of the Maquis that will be continued further in DS9 and Voyager yeah what's interesting to me is that this was written by Rene Echevarria who will go to DS9 after this is over with Ron Moore. Um, never been more apparent the the divide there between like how important the writers when they split up between DS9 and Voyager ended up being. Um, mm. DS9 got the good character writers and Voyager got the sci-fi people, the concept people. Um, (laughs) and it's like, it's fascinating and enterprise kind of is an offshoot of that, except it's post Voyager, but it's, it's interesting that the the divide clearly happened there. And I wonder how it must've been intentional on, uh, the people hiring for the show's part, just to how the writers broke down, but to see Braga and like Joe Minoski and stuff move on to Voyager and to have Ron Moore, Renee Echeverria, and then Ira Bear on DS9 is a strong sense of where the franchise started to split at that point, mm. I think, interestingly. This is just, obviously I'm saying because this is a pure Rene Echevarria episode. It's like a character trauma thing, and he, he was the expert at that stuff. One of the better writers. Yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people say that Joe Manowski was a great character writer. Uh, as well, but I'm not so sure I agree with it. So, I mean, his, his sci-fi concepts, or he he has the yeah. concept for Darmok, but Darmok is not a character thing. You know, mm. Darmok is a sci-fi concept parable story. Absolutely, I agree, and that's why I totally agree with with you that yeah, the writers the writers like Ron Moore uh, went to DS9 because they're yeah, and yeah, I, I actually absolutely agree with that. Um, and Bernard Braga, he's another thing. I talked about him a lot. I think he works better in combination with those other writers, like we were just talking about, with like Ronald D. Moore, which is why I think his writing on Voyager wasn't as good as, especially Enterprise when you get into that territory. It wasn't as good as because you need a Ron Moore, you need like someone like that to sort of bounce off it. And I think he doesn't work as well with, you know, without that yeah. sort of. Ying and yang. No, Braga doesn't care about character work, really. It's not no. his <laughs> it's not what his writing focuses on. And I think honestly his sci-fi concept ran out of gas after a couple of series of going through, which they will, because it's mm. it's easier to generate character drama than it is brilliant sci-fi concepts. So and if you have the option to go down one of those paths, I think as a television writer, you should probably stick to the character work. Um Anything else to talk about preemptive strike? I'll give you the final word here to talk about. Um, you said this is one of your top 10 for TNG at that point. Is that true? 
Yes, I think I had this. I keep changing it around as top tens do, but I think last time it placed like number eight, so it always like hangs out in that sort of area. So like top ten, but not quite top five. Because I think that I gave it. I'm trying to look it up now. I should have let people know this at the top of the top of the episode. I gave this episode on our first time through a three mm-hmm. out of five. So we'll rank it again here. I've been updating my views. On our scale of one to five, I think you'd give this a five. Obviously, it's top ten. It has to go in. I think I'm yes, gonna, I would definitely give it a five. I think I'm going to stick to a three. I think this is a good episode. I don't think it has problems. I My definition of a four is would I show this to someone who does not know Star Trek? And would they be like, that was a good thing that you showed me? I don't know if that gets to this point and not because of any of the content or not because of the character work or not knowing who the Maquis is. I just don't think it has enough narrative juice to hold someone's attention if they're not familiar with this franchise. So I think I'm going to give it a three in my roundabout. But yeah, if you want to give your final words about why you think it's a top 10 episode for TNG, feel free. Uh, well, mainly just, yes, things I already mentioned. I just thought that the character story worked for me. I thought it was a great conclusion uh, to Rose's character. And I just like the slow build of her slowly starting to like identify with these people and uh, connecting back to his backstory with her father being tortured. I think that was really nicely done. Uh, and the other thing I wanted to mention is I also like how they threw in a little tidbit there and they didn't draw too much attention with her and Riker because Riker mm. was the one on the ship with her when she like pulled the phaser on him and betrayed him because they had a little thing going too ever since they had that little romance and conundrum like I think they learned to appreciate each other more and Riker was also like really struck dumb by her betraying and having her have to pull the phaser on him and seeing like again great acting that's another reason why I love this episode that look of like horror of like you know, just um, really not wanting to do this, but feel like she's forced to do this. Like she, I think all these little moments like that, especially Picard, the look on Patrick Stewart, Picard's face after Rogue betrayed it. I think that's priceless. Like that right there almost like gets me. So I think it's those subtle moments with no dialogue that are just played so beautifully is another reason why it just does one really. And every time I watch this episode at the very end, when it cuts the credits, I, I feel like really deeply emotionally moved by this episode so that's why i consider it a top 10 episode Riker also had sex with roe in conundrum so he should have brought that up before she left he calls her he calls her roe before she leaves and picard is the only one to call her laren which i think is an interesting choice i would have had Riker call her laren too i think i think that makes sense for that that relationship Right? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. But it's always I don't think like, Picard should call her that. I think Picard should yeah. call her Ensign Rowe or Lieutenant Rowe or whatever. I mean, I would actually say they probably no one should call her Laren because it just seems out of place. It is strange. Like, it just seems that's what they It know is weird, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. You give it a five out of five. I'll give it a three. It stays there. It's a fine episode, especially in the context of the seventh season. It's fine. I think it's, it's, it's a good enough episode for me. Still can't get over where it is placed in the series run <laughs> because it just doesn't make sense. If this was in the middle of seventh, the seventh season, I'd say that's perfect. All right. That's it. Mark, do you want to say where uh, people can find you? 
Yeah, so I have my channel is Enchantment of Eternity. I do a lot of random uh, Star Trek uh, reviews there, just review episodes completely out of order. <laughs> and at random, usually I have polls and people pick what episodes they want to review. And I go by and review whole seasons. And I also cover uh, like other sci fi shows, like Lord Dex is airing, uh, covering that. And I uh, go through other shows that like Better Call Saul, I'm doing at the moment, and Star Wars, mm-hmm. Clone Wars, which I'm watching for the first time. I'm still iffy on it, but I'll get there but and stuff like that so yeah you can find me and that's mainly on youtube uh enchantment of eternity sure i'll put a link down below it'll be in the podcast description if you're listening that way well thanks very much for coming on thanks for talking about an episode near and dear to your heart and near and dear to the middle of my heart i suppose um <laughs> and that's it but it's good been uh, good to talk to you good to talk about star trek i guess we're done I guess that's it, people. Patreon.com slash the if you want to support the show. If you're enjoying these revisits, let me know in the comments below. Otherwise, Enterprise coverage continues. We're almost done with the Enterprise. That'll be fantastic. And then uh, Voyager after that. So thank you, everybody, for listening. Mark, thanks very much for coming on. And we will see you later. <laughs>